This is the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bone Beat Orthopedic Podcast channel. This series features important conversations on health policy issues, as well as advocacy efforts to advance access and quality to musculoskeletal health care. Be sure to tune in on the third Tuesday of every month for our regular program. I'm your host, Doug Lundy, chair of the AAOS Advocacy Council. All right, y'all, this is our final episode in our series on consolidation, where we'll hear from three different orthopedic surgeons who have very, very different perspectives on the impact that consolidation has had in our profession and for our patients. Now, in part one of the series, we explored the broad trends and impact of consolidation. And in part two, we looked at the federal government and healthcare industry's response to the increase of consolidation in healthcare. So the first person I talked to is Dr. Jim Barber, who's a long-term friend of mine. Jim and I actually went to medical school and residency together. Jim has his own independent practice, Southeastern Orthopedics, in rural Georgia. He said consolidation can have short-term financial benefits for practices, but may not increase access or decrease out-of-pocket costs for patients. Consolidation, as it relates to my practice, means grouping with another healthcare entity. I'm not sure I would really call it consolidation, but I do partner with my local hospital in an ACO, and we are also working on a clinically integrated network. I have felt a growing pressure to look for opportunities to consolidate. Contracting with insurers is becoming more and more difficult as a small practice, and compliance with the growing list of regulations is also becoming more challenging, the most recent example being surprise billing. These problems would be easier to handle if I were part of a larger group. Consolidation might bring a small increased value to my patients, but likely with more drawbacks. I live and work in a rural, isolated community. Consolidation might bring a short-term increase in practice revenue, which might allow me to provide general orthopedic care for a longer period of time. And that's because larger groups seem to enjoy better contracting and purchasing power. But I don't think it would increase the scope of services in my area because patients with access to transportation are already traveling out of town for those services. I think deductible and copay charges to patients would rise proportional to the decrease in competition. And I also think each of us will become more replaceable as the amount of consolidation increases when the focus for consolidation is on revenue for the organization. Now, Dr. Ronald Navarro, on the other hand, works for a highly consolidated health system, Kaiser Permanente, in Southern California. Ron is also a long-term friend and very, very busy and active in the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. He said, although consolidation has helped increase value to patients, it can also have organizational challenges because new personnel aren't always committed to the practice's vision. Consolidation has meant for us in Kaiser Permanente a few things. We've been able to take on new groups of physicians that embrace our values and culture, and this helps us to impact more patients. It also means that other groups are developing larger scale and can become more competitive with us. 
Consolidation can increase the value to patients insofar as the sharing of ideas and new contexts can bring change and improvement in care paths and potentially ultimately better outcomes for patients. Potential drawbacks to consolidation include, and I have seen this, adding personnel who are not committed to their own growth and change. Large entities have definitely a way of doing things, and while some disruption is healthy, some, if for the sake of intransience, can make for a difficult work environment. I really think managing consolidation should keep this issue intentionally explicit so it can be discussed and managed for good outcomes rather than allowing it to quietly fester. Dr. Fred Liss also practices in a large consolidated physician group called the Rothman Orthopedic Institute in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Dr. Liss is also very, very involved in the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. In his view, different types of consolidation impact value for patients in different ways, but physician-led consolidation can drive higher quality under the right circumstances. The three most important areas that are affecting all of our practices now are consolidation in the hospital market, consolidation of practices, and consolidation in the healthcare payer market, which has been going on for a long time. Basically, they all have effects on competition, which I think is the main reason why consolidation in the hospital arena has been a difficult problem in this country. Fewer and fewer hospitals are available to patients. The prices go up. That's true when hospitals buy doctors' practices because of the HOPD model where they can charge more because it's a large hospital system. And that's also true because without the competition, naturally, the owners of those entities are going to charge more. It's just a natural process in our capital system in this country. I think there's been an effort to try to assess and reduce the negative effects of the consolidation market. And I think the most important one right now in the hospital realm is taking a look at physician ownership of hospitals, which was banned in the Affordable Care Act in Section 6001. Unfairly, I might add. I think what's very important is that we include all innovators in the creation of health care, especially in the hospital market where physicians have demonstrated that when they run hospitals, the quality is much better. And I'm not saying that they're better than and going to replace large institutional hospitals, academic institutions, or community hospitals, but they need to work in an integrated system. And so how it affects our patients when there are consolidated hospital markets is the patient has fewer choices, the prices go up, the quality generally goes down and that's a real problem. The President of the United States has put out an executive order to assess and reduce the problems of consolidation in our healthcare market, and it remains to be seen whether anything significant will get done because of the great power that the large hospital lobbies have over Congress. So how it affects us in our practice setting is really a complex answer, but I think the most important viewpoint is to think about it from the patient's standpoint, and hospital consolidation is not a good thing, and competition is. Now, while Dr. Liss is clear in his view that competition is good for patients and hospital consolidation is bad, his thoughts on whether or not consolidation increases value is more nuanced. Whether or not consolidation increases the value to patients, I think, depends on the models. In the practice setting, practice ownership can go either way. There are different models where large hospital systems are buying up physician practices. And at this point, close to 70% of physicians are in owned practices. That is owned by larger entities. And those are ones that are not independent. 
There are also models now where private equity is partnering and buying out different levels of larger practices, sometimes smaller ones. And that's a form of consolidation that can go either way with regards to patient impact. I think what happens when private equity firms come in is one of two things. If they take majority control of the practice, it can be a very negative thing where doctors lose control. In essence, the decisions about how they care for patients are taken away from them. However, there are models where majority control is not given up. Practice gets an influx of cash. They get partnership in equity firms that really do understand efficiency of practices because the equity firms are overseen by a group of physicians and business-minded folks. And this can be a good thing. This can lead to better efficiencies, lower costs, etc. So it really depends on how the practice looks at it and what they do and who they deal with. And I think that has to be done very carefully. Bottom line on consolidation in any marketplace, whether it be hospitals, practices, or the payers, is that it can affect patients and the patient-doctor relationship very negatively and has done so in the past. The payer market has been consolidating for a long time, and that's led to very poor control with regards to doctors, especially in smaller practices, with any kind of negotiating for getting fair payments for what they do. And that's a long discussion, but I think that's been a problem that has been partially addressed by recent legislation. The McCarran-Ferguson Act 1945 was revoked, and therefore payers can no longer interact with each other and, in effect, do price fixing for healthcare markets for physicians and other entities for the payments that they deliver. I think that was a great win for physicians, but more importantly for patients, because that will help to reduce the cost of healthcare in the long run. You can hear more about the repeal of the McCarran-Ferguson Act in episode 15 of our podcast, where we spoke with antitrust expert George Slover about the impact of the law's repeal. Dr. Liss discussed the role that private equity plays in driving the consolidation of physician groups. I think this is another important factor to consider when looking at the landscape of consolidation. As he explained, private equity investment in practices can be advantageous for physicians when they're considered partners in the advancement and investment in the practice. However, there are other times that the private equity firm can swoop in and exclude physicians from the decision-making process. And if this happens, these scenarios can lead to negative effects on both patients and physicians. Now, some might say that private equity investments can lead to the creation of physician megagroups, which can streamline services for patients by having multiple specialties under the same umbrella practice and easing coordination of care. As many of y'all know, I was involved in one of these large mega groups, and I can attest that we were able to do these very same things, increasing access and quality of care by doing so. On the other hand, these groups can lead to further consolidation of the market and decreased competition, which may have negative impacts on patient access to care. All right, so looking three years down the road, Dr. Barber said he may or may not join up with a larger practice, but consolidation in healthcare generally is probably inevitable. I think there are basically three possibilities. One is that I will have consolidated into a larger group with other orthopedic groups or with a hospital or possibly a healthcare system. The second possibility is that I will have made a conscious decision to earn less but remain independent 
I am a little too old to have enjoyed the current emphasis on work-life balance, but I could see that being a focus in three years if regulation continues to worsen. The third and least likely scenario is that CMS and insurance companies will disincentivize consolidation and reward smaller practices. Value-based care has put an emphasis not only on quality, but also cost, and it is possible a small and nimble practice could offer a higher value proposition. I do have concerns about the effect of consolidation on rural America, specifically less choice, increased cost, and more travel to regionalized urban hubs. In contrast, Dr. Liss is not convinced that the shift to consolidation is inevitable. He thinks that advocacy has a large role to play in what comes next. In the future, I think really what happens depends upon the decisions that are made by individual practices, by our government, and by the payers. I really think that something that should happen is that the anti-competitive Section 6001 of the Affordable Care Act should be revoked or at least modified. I don't think it's right that physicians can be owned by hospitals, but hospitals cannot be owned by physicians. It doesn't make any sense except when you realize that it's an anti-competitive effort of large lobbies and special interest groups that really don't want to be competed with by the innovative ideas of doctors. I do think physician hospitals need to be allowed to grow, and whether that's in an environment with joint venture or independently remains to be seen. I think what really has to happen is that we have to create an integrated healthcare system where everybody works on the same initiatives and we row in the same direction. I don't think it makes sense for us to compete against each other in any way except to have higher quality, but not to defeat the others. Quality begets quality, and I think if you have multiple high-quality systems in an area, patients win because they get choice, the prices go down, and healthcare quality goes up. With regards to practices, I think it really depends on capitalism with a conscience. If practices go for the brass rings and they only want money and they sell out completely, I think you're going to find a lot of doctors who are unhappy and patients who are unhappy because you'll have people who only think about the money aspects of it in the private equity companies that just want to squeeze money out of the practices. And that will ultimately mean decisions that are not really in the best interest of patients. On the other hand, if we see practices sell out to business models where they get cash infusions to be able to do more creative things and create economies of scale and are driven by physician leadership that's going to drive healthcare in a direction for higher quality, I think it's a win-win for patients and for the doctor practices. The healthcare payer market has been an area that I think the damage has been done with consolidation. For many decades now, healthcare payers could collude with each other, price fix, and I think it damaged a lot of physician practices and in many ways drove the consolidation market to occur in physician practices as well as hospitals. So in the years to come, it really depends on everyone making reasonable decisions as to how this is going to affect patients. All right, y'all, this has been an insightful conclusion to our series on consolidation. I've learned that there is not a one-size-fits-all when it comes to making decisions about the role that consolidation will play in an orthopedic surgeon's practice. There are many pathways to ensuring patient access to quality care. 
So y'all be sure to listen to the first two episodes in this series and read our recently released FAQs on consolidation to learn more about this topic. I'd encourage you also to stay tuned to the AAOS Advocacy Action Center for opportunities to make your voice heard on Capitol Hill. As we learned in this series, all types of policies, whether it's physician-owned hospitals or surprise billing regulations, contribute to the role that consolidation will have on the future of our practices. Thank you for listening to this episode of the AAOS Advocacy Podcast, part of the Bonebeat Orthopedic Podcast channel with production and sound design by Mission Based Media. For more information on this topic and other AAOS efforts to shape the future of musculoskeletal health care, please visit aaos.org forward slash the Bonebeat advocacy. Mm-hmm.